we're off to Louisville this weekend to see JMU take on ACC opponent on the road. Uh, JMU team that's dropped two in a row, but we don't know exactly what to expect from the Dukes this weekend. Uh, you know, Noah and I just looking at the uh, new depth chart that drops, several changes on there. Um, some of the changes didn't come maybe where you might have expected based on what injuries we've saw uh, in the past couple weeks. But, no, I guess just give me your first impression on uh, seeing that. What what can we expect from JMU as far as, like, who's available to play, who's going to play where, what changes they're making based on what we know? Yeah, I mean, well, we, we definitely know there won't, will be a new safety, right, because Sam Kidd's out for the year. So we, we know that for a fact. Everything else, don't know. There's a lot of guys that are injured right now, and JMU's playing close to the vest, which, you know, in a game week kind of makes sense. You don't want to give the other team an advantage of who's playing where but the offensive line's a question mark right now especially with nick kidwell and tyshawn wyatt both nursing some injuries and and you know against a team that had eight sacks last week leads the country in sacks overall it's you know it's kind of a question mark yeah we, we got the news that same kid is out for the year before they really tightened up the ship and uh closed down all the information on injuries um so we'll, we'll start there with sam kid that's that's a big loss. Um, they've been deep and doing well at safety this year, but you know, losing one of your most exper- experienced defensive players, guy who's been through a lot, um, guy who was playing pretty pretty well this season, really up until the Marshall game where you know he got knocked out. Um, we'll start there. Just how big of a loss is Kid in the grand scheme of things? Yeah, I mean, he's a veteran guy. He's been playing really well this year, and he left the game against Marshall twice, and it's looked like the second time kind of, you know, knocked him out for and mocked him out of the season. But, you know, they're going to have to replace him, and they're kind of do it by committee, like with um, Josh Charette and Francis Meehan kind of stepping into his role as strong safety, and then Key Reed will kind of free safety it up, and we'll see what happens from there. But, you know, overall, it's, it's, it's not what I don't think anyone wanted, especially, you know, with four games to play. Yeah. Not that I don't know how much we can read into the depth chart that was just released because there's a lot of things that were added. There are a lot of things, yeah, and there are a lot of things that just don't add up if you uh, like pay attention. But um, it is interesting that they did kind of you know make that switch. It looks like you know moving Josh Sharat to the other safety position and uh, letting Q Reed start uh, if, if the depth chart is exactly. an indi- is an indication. We we've seen guys who have not been listed on the depth chart then all of a sudden be on Starting. the field when the game kicks <laughs> off um but you know that is kind of interesting that they made that shift there um if it ends up playing that out that way um another thing that was kind of kind of noticeable about the secondary on that was um well one lack of xavier coakley on two deep lack of brent austin on the two deep um austin was hurt again hasn't played in the last two yeah He's been hurt. Um, seems like probably shouldn't expect to see him on the field again this Saturday just based on him disappearing from the depth chart. Yeah, I mean, he's been hurt the last two weeks, and they've put him on the depth chart the last two weeks, and now either he's fine and they just are playing games with Louisville or he's not going to make the trip. Either way, it is what it is. I mean, Devin Cole is now added to the 2 deep along with Antoine Booth, who Booth has been on the 2 deep in and out this year. He hasn't really gotten a whole lot of playing time just being the younger corners in front of him playing well. And uh, we'll see what happens. We do know that Jordan Swan and Chauncey Logan will most likely line up to start the game. Yeah, and, you know, we talked to Jordan Swan yesterday, and he pointed out that, you know, a huge key in this game is 
those cornerbacks being able to hold their coverage a little longer because Malik Cunningham is a guy who's going to keep the plays alive longer, um, more than anybody they've seen this year. Um, so any 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 lack of depth at the cornerback position could be a huge impact in this game. Um, although, you know, you're talking about guys who maybe weren't playing as well as Swan and Chauncey Logan at this point in the season. But an, another thing we'll be uh, keeping an eye out, you know, I, I'm sure when we get there on Saturday, one of the first things we do is when the team comes out on the field is like head down there and try to figure out who's suited up, who's ready to go, who's looking looking like they're moving well and everything else. Um, and along those lines, several of those guys are on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, most notably, most, of them. <laughs> yeah, most notably quarterback, uh, quarterback Todd Santeo, but also quite importantly, um, the two tackles who have been blocking for him and doing a good job all season long, uh, missed either all or most of, or a good chunk of the Marshall game. Do you know anything about where those guys stand, Nick Kidwell and Tyshawn Wyatt? I mean, Nick Kidwell last week at the Marshall game was, I think, on a knee scooter, so that doesn't look too bright, I guess, unless, you know, magically, you know, you get healed up in two weeks. I mean, the bye week may have helped. It probably helped some of these guys that are banged up, but uh, Tyshawn Wyatt, you know, it's he was on crutches at the end of the Marshall game, but that could have just been precautionary. Don't know what's going on there. And, and obviously, you know, the big story everyone's watching is the guy that wears the number one jersey on offense and, and uh, you know, see how he does. He was a true game that game-time decision against Marshall, and I would expect JMU to play it as if he's a game-time decision this week. Yeah. So we, we can get into Todd Santeo, his injury, um, what we do and don't know about where he stands right now because we don't know a lot. Uh, they but closed... we know a lot. Well, we're going to get there. <laughs> yeah, they closed off practice for us, so we didn't see. You know, a lot of times those guys, if they're rolling around on a scooter or on crutches or just not suited up, we see that at practice, then we get to turn around. Kind of, you know, inside baseball and how this works is in exchange for being allowed to go see parts of practice, we don't get to just say this is what we saw, whether it's, you know, a play they were running or whether it's, you know, an injury. But we have the opportunity to turn around and ask Signetti about that. He can choose whether he wants to answer or not yeah. later in the day. Um, not the way it worked this week because they closed us out of practice. Um, so got a little bit more creative, I guess, with our question and questions um, because they also said they were not going to answer any questions about injuries. But clever guy Noah seemed to maybe figure out a little bit of something about the quarterback situation. Explain it to me, Noah. was kind of unintentional, but <laughs> when asking Jordan Swan about how they're preparing for a mobile quarterback, Malik Cunningham, which they haven't seen a mobile quarterback like this all year, you know, a guy who, can, who led the country last year in rushing yards for a quarterback, you know, asked how they're replicating it, and the answer is Alonzo Barnett on the scout team, who's been on the scout team for a lot of years, so it's not a surprise. But the only thing would be if, if you're putting your third-string quarterback, your other scholarship quarterback on the scout team, that tells me that there's two quarterbacks practicing with the first team and second team. That that would seem to be the indication. Um, yeah. It, it, when a major issue against Marshall was that Alonzo Barnett like just didn't have the snaps yep. off the scout team to come in and try to see if he could shake things up when obviously the offense just wasn't working with Billy Atkins at quarterback. Um, if there was a chance he was no, going into this game number two, he would be practicing as number two. He would like, be getting I think. Reps. Yeah. yeah. So that that 
seems to be a good indication for JMU as far as um, at least some it's, availability. It, probably it still doesn't for, determine he yeah. can play the whole game, but at least yeah. it just like he could be an emergency option. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean like he's not hurting or anything else, or that you know they're still still maybe nursing that oblique strain. Um, yeah, and how exactly, yeah, how you, how you categorize it, but. Um, you would hope if you're a JMU fan that basically three weeks off for him, you know, of contact, everything has allowed his shoulder to heal to the point where he's not put in the same kind of turning know, motion. Yeah, turning motion on that oblique that ended up being that. And then, you know, hopefully he was able to heal in both locations on his body there. Um, we won't know really anything until Saturday evening. Um, around like six o'clock. Yeah, yeah. When we can kind of you know see them get onto the field, see what's happening, but that does seem to be like a fairly decent indication for JMU that uh, that they're kind of hoping that they might get something out of Todd this week. It is, but I mean at the same time you're playing a team that leads country in sacks, so the fact that you're not going to have two offensive linemen. Could possibly not have two offensive line. Could get one back. Could get both back. I think that's a really that that may almost be a bigger portion of this game rather than the quarterback because Billy is a serviceable, serviceable backup at this point. He's been in the program for two years and things like that. And I think half the battle with him last week was the protection and he didn't have time to throw. We saw in the first quarter he threw for 120 yards. How when he had time to move, but once Tyshawn Wyatt got knocked out of the game, and then all of a sudden the wheels kind of fell off. Yeah. So let's. Let's just imagine worst case scenario offensively that you're going with Billy Atkins at quarterback and he doesn't have either Nick Kidwell or Tyshawn Wyatt to um to block for him. How much does the past um the bye week and then the this week of practice preparing for Louisville, how much could that lead to some improvement just having the lineup you know you're going to go with out there practicing as opposed to throwing them together at the last second? I think it, it might work. Um, it really is going to depend. I, I could see if that were to happen, I would see a lot of keeping a running back in the backfield and an extra blocker back there and, and maybe bringing more tight ends to chip on the way out because the pass rush of Louisville is a different animal that Jamie's ever hasn't seen yet this year. And so I think they may have to get more creative on their blocking schemes and using tight ends and other things to kind of – help give Billy some time to throw the ball if that's the case. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about how Louisville's different than teams JMU's seen. Um, obviously, it's the first Power 5 opponent JMU's played this year. Um, first one in a couple years, right? Yeah. Um, and how much of a difference that makes, hard to say. But Louisville definitely has some things that they bring that JMU hasn't seen. Uh, first and foremost, we mentioned Malik Cunningham, who's just um, – you know, they're leading passer, they're leading rusher. He's not Lamar Jackson, but he's pretty close. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, they haven't seen a quarterback who does both like that yet this season. Um, yeah. Like, just how big of a challenge will trying to slow him down be? Or is the defensive line that we've seen from JMU this year up for that? I think the D-line's up for that. I think the biggest – question mark on the defensive side of the ball when you're when you're playing quarterback like that is you're obviously going to spy with a linebacker and if they're without Jalen Walker who's one of their fastest linebackers they have it might 
play factor. I mean, he left the game against Marshall with it appeared to be a foot ankle injury, taped it up, but didn't return. And I think if he's out, Trent Hendricks steps in, and he's he's a quick guy, but just doesn't have the experience that you know Jalen's had playing all year. And so that may be a factor. But then you may have to spy with Torres Jones instead. But I think that's gonna be the biggest thing is you're gonna keep a linebacker there to keep an eye on him, and you hope that you have two of your starters there instead of just one. Yeah. Beyond Cunningham, are there offensive um, weapons that Jamie needs to be particularly particularly uh, wary of? Yeah, I mean, you heard Kurt Signal yesterday talked about Louisville is a very well-rounded offense. Yes, they've got Malik Cunningham, but he has a ton of weapons to throw to, and, and, and they've got a good running back as well. So I think if Jamie can take Malik Cunningham out of the picture, at least his legs, make him beat you on the throw, I think that it gives Jamie a good opportunity to stay in the game. Yeah. Um We'll switch it to the defense side of the ball then because, you know, Louisville, we haven't even mentioned this. They're coming off, you know, probably their biggest win in a while. Definitely the biggest uh, win of the year. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I have to go back and look at, like, what they've done last year. But it seems like it's been a while since they've beaten a top 10 team. That can remember. They, they beat Wake Forest last week. Um, an ungodly number of turnovers. Eight. By Wake Forest. Um, Six of them in the third quarter. <laughs> JMU has struggled with turnovers the past two weeks, but were really, really good in that department early in the season. Yeah. Um, what do you expect just along those lines? Is this going to be another crazy turnover game, like based on what these two teams have done the past couple weeks, or will things settle down a little bit? I think they settle down because I think, you know, Turnovers on the offensive side of the ball for Jamie is very uncharacteristic. They led the NCAA last year in turnover margin. First five games, they did very well taking care of the ball. Texas State had two fumbles, but as Chris Ignandy said, they were playing in a hurricane, so kind of different animal there. The, also, Texas State fumbled it twice, too, so it's really a wash in that sense. But I think they, they take care of the butter, the, take better care of the ball this week, especially on special teams, which has been a problem the last two weeks. Blocked punt, blocked PAT, resulted in points both times. I think... If that's where it starts, because you take those two scores away, and I think JMU, honestly, sitting here at 7-0, just on special teams alone. I think the offensive turnovers most of the time, the defense was able to get the ball back. But those turnovers were a blocked punt for a touchdown and a blocked PAT for a two-point conversion. Both swung the momentum, gave the other yeah. team some life, and I think that if those don't happen, JMU sitting here 7-0 right now. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I would say they necessarily win without the blocked uh, extra point. They were still in pretty decent shape after that. Although it was a momentum change, but they definitely uh, won Georgia Southern. Well, let's say this: Yeah, this is how close JMU is to seven and zero going in as probably a top twenty team to face Louisville on the road, coming off a top ten win. That, that's how close game. they they <laughs> were to that because you know, not having the block punt and or Todd Santeo being healthy. Yeah, it, it, you know, you're looking at this game. You know, differently just as far as, you know, how much national attention this game would be getting, um, especially after the, you know, college football playoff rankings just came out yesterday. And obviously, JMU and really the Sun Belt were not involved in that at this point. But if we're, if we're, if we're saying what if, like, you know, that's how close JMU probably was to being in that discussion going into, yeah. you know, their highest profile game of the year, non-conference. Um, so... Let's talk a little bit more about Louisville just because you know, eight turnovers is, is an incredible <laughs> stat. Does that make 
their victory a fluke? I mean, is that something to say? I mean, because statistically... I mean, statistically, they scored 35 points off turnovers. Yeah, and statistically, it was a pretty even game as far as just, you know, yardage and everything else Wake Forest was able to put up. I, I may be being a little bit harsh to just throw out that F Shane. word. But, <laughs> but just as a discussion point... You know, I think that's something to keep in mind. I think like, it's a possibility, but I think at the end of the day, Louisville still played the number 10 team evenly, even if turnovers were the thing that, that caused them to blow them out. I still think, you know, even if it wasn't a blowout, I think you take half those turnovers away, Louisville probably still wins the game. Just not in a blowout way. Yeah. And, and it was probably their best game that they've played the entire year, just performance-wise. And I think for JMU, it's JMU is not the first time they're walking into an opponent's home where the opponent is riding high over a big win or two, which at App State was the same situation. App had beaten A&M on the road, then had Troy on the Hail Mary the following week. So I think Jamie's not a stranger to walking into a hostile environment, which has got all of the momentum, all of the confidence, and Jamie likes to play that underdog role, and you heard Terrence Green talk about it, and I think that that could be something they embrace and could come out with a win. Yeah, um, it was interesting. Um you know, coming off two losses in the press conference yesterday, then Kurt Signetti was asked about, like, getting the confidence back. And, like, he basically kind of laughed at the question. He's like, these guys are not lacking for confidence, which is, you know, an interesting response. Um, I mean, because they know that there were one to three plays away in each game from winning those games. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, do they look at themselves as – the team that should be seven and zero and ranked and probably a favorite in this game if you know there were less question marks about the injuries. I think so, but I think at the same time you can't change what happened in the past, and they can only yeah. change what happens forward. So they come out and if they beat a Louisville team who just beat the number ten team in the country, I think you know it, it writes the ship. It says, "Well, Jamie, you had two down weeks, had injuries and other things that plagued them, but if they can overcome those and and go to Louisville and try to pull out a win, which won't be an easy task, but I think they're up for it." it uh, and I'll phrase it this way instead, too. Beyond, you know, just how they've played early in the season, do you think there's anything else in particular that's a source of this confidence? Is there something that we don't know that nobody else knows that I mean, they do? You, like, their quarterback could be coming back. And yeah. He had a base he, of confidence. And he specifically said the defense was confident, though, which I, I found interesting. Like, just to, like, the, the emphatic and honest response there in that regard. I think that they're confident because they're playing a team that they think they can beat and a team that is good. And I think it's the same swag and confidence they had against Chase Bryce. Obviously, Chase Bryce is not really a runner, but an elite passer. And I think, you know, they know that they can come back from 25-point deficits. They know they can play a better quarterback on the field and beat them. And I think, yeah, at this point, there's really nothing that Unless they're playing Tennessee at this point, I don't think they'd be lacking any confidence. Yeah, and you you really also got to you know, keep in mind that defensively, if he's talking about the defensive confidence, the defense kept them in. They kept a them game. in every game. They kept them in a game last week where the offense did absolutely nothing beyond the first quarter, and Jamie was still with a chance to win that game. You so know, like late, four minutes left. late. <laughs> you know, if they could have gotten a pick six or something like that, they were you know right back in. That yeah. game. I mean, I mean, they, they the only thing that was a fluke play in that game was a sixty-one yard running, rushing touchdown from Marshall. Everything yeah. else was is what it is. They, yeah, I mean, this defense has been the story of the year. I mean, even at App, 
defense won the game. I mean, there was the interception that got them the ball inside the 10. Yeah. And then the following week, you know, Jalen Walker had a pick six. So I think, you know, I think the defense, there's a reason why they're confident. It's because they're overall the entire year, I think they're the better unit. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as much as we're hyping up the defense right now, too, we're, we're, we're remembering a extremely poor offensive performance as the most recent time <sighs> we've seen them. But I did see a stat today that um, JMU's third in the Sun Belt in points scored. It is. By, I think, what, 20 points or something? Yeah. And they played one less game than, than everybody, everybody else, <laughs> like, which is worth noting. And, you know, basically they played six games with their real offense <laughs> to yeah. put up those points. Um, you know, we'll, we'll call it five and a half. Like, yeah, I mean, um, Jamie's offense put up those, but I saw a stat today. Jamie's defense is still top 10 in stop rate. Yeah. So, my point is a healthy JMU, I think, has a legit chance to go to Louisville and, you know, raise some eyebrows. I think a, a semi healthy JMU yeah. raises eyebrows. We just don't know if we're, that's what we're going to see on Saturday or not. I think if they get at least, you know, one offensive lineman back from injury, whether it's Tyshawn White or Nick Kidwell, and I think yeah. if, if, if Santayla's back there, I think I give JMU a very good opportunity of going in there and upsetting Louisville. Yeah. If they go in with all of the guys that are in the injury list that we've been keeping, because college football doesn't put out an injury report, but if there were to be some injury report and all of those guys had out next to their name, I don't feel as confident in saying that, but if they get at least you know half of them back, I think there's a possibility. And yeah. he, Chrissy, then he said they're confident they're getting some guys back early in the week. He just won't say who. Yeah. Well, I can tell you if they did an NFL style injury report, we get Sam Kidd out, and we get a whole lot of questionables this this week. Um, and Mateo Jackson <laughs> doubtful. Yeah. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, I just yeah, pretty sure that's how they'd handle that. Oh yeah, it would just be a lot of questionables. But yeah, do you have enough information to make any kind of prediction this weekend? I will say this. Don't know if I'm going to say a JMU win, but I will say a JMU cover. Okay. I think they cover the spread. It played tight. I don't think it's blocked, and I think the defense holds up their end of the bargain. Now it's a matter of does the offense hold up their end of the bargain. Yeah. My prediction is that I'm going to have a bourbon on Friday night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we uh, definitely going to explore Louisville this weekend, and uh, we'll report back next week on how the uh, bourbon adventure goes. Yeah. So – got a little bit more time and we got a lot more sports going on this time of year so it's kind of a, a crazy yeah. time right now yeah we talked a little bit of basketball preview last week but since we got a game on monday two games two games men's and women's double header on monday uh let's talk a little bit more hoops just you know what we expect you know noah wrote a story helping me out on the basketball beat wrote a story about caroline germond the women's basketball point guard what was your kind of overall impression uh, talking to her a little bit in depth, getting to know her, and what she's going to bring to JMU this year? Yeah, she's got just like some like I guess like a like a confidence about her that's kind of interesting. I don't think you know a lot of people would think you know. Obviously, being a point guard, you need to be confident in yourself. You're you're running the offense, and she's not a score first point guard at all. She would she even told me she'd rather pass the ball than score herself. She she finds pride in setting up her teammates and. And things like that. And I think, you know, talking to the people, that's what they, they've seen out of her. And I think that, you know, she's she's got one year of eligibility left. She transferred from TCU. I think she, she she sees an opportunity to really turn this program back to where it was a few years ago. You know, last year I had a rocky season. And, and I think that she sees this as an opportunity to, to be a winner. I mean, in her JUCO, 
they only won, lost one game in the two years she was at JUCO in Texas. So yeah. I think there's a really big opportunity here for her. She brings a winning mentality, and I think that, you know, Shauna Reagan said she's one of those pieces they were missing last year. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the women's team shows up to start. They're coming off coming off a losing season, which is rare for this program, um, but played relatively well down the stretch despite the injuries. Um, got a big win over a good Delaware team. They jump right into it. Uh, Maine uh, was a good team last year, won the America East. They're coming in to get challenged, like, early on. I think, you know, you're planning on coming – over to the AUBC on Monday with me. Um, it's probably the better of the two games, to be honest. It, it, no, definitely the better <laughs> of the two games on Monday. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that in a sec. But, you know, just, you know, anything in particular that you're interested to see out of the women's team before we move on to the men's, just in what should be a competitive game, kind of a, a benchmark game for them to start the season? Yeah, I'm kind of interested to see how, you know, a healthy JMU looks out there, especially with, you know, we, we talked about Caroline and, and I think she starts with her being the point guard, obviously, having the ball in her hand for much of the game. And I think if if it all goes well, I think, you know, this JMU team could, you know, make a statement win in game one. And I think that's something that, you know, maybe just puts somebody on notice. Obviously, a long way from league play, but at least say, you know, this is a JMU team that's a lot different from last year. I think, what, they're picked to finish sixth or fourth or something like that this they're year? They're picked sixth in the Sun Belt this yeah, year. So yeah. they could turn heads pretty quick. Yeah, I, I'm curious to see um, – you know, Caroline out there, but also with uh, Peyton McDaniel. Um, yeah. Both of those, I think, add a new dimension to the offense that they just didn't have last season. On the men's side, should not be much of a game. They you know start with Valley Forge. Um, it is a regular season game, but kind of you know one of those exhibition-type uh, openers yeah. to just kind of get a chance to see everybody, see your team together. Although they, they played a couple of competitive scrimmages. Um here in October, now that we're in November. I, yeah, I'm just very curious to see kind of how they bounce the minutes on the men's side. Um, might be one of our best opportunities to see some of the freshmen play yes, big I think, minutes. I think see the whole roster play. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, they're hopeful that those young guys are people who are going to contribute to this program down the line. You know, they liked last year's freshman class a lot, too. Yeah. But when the season ends and uh, Takal Molson and Vado Morse are both coming back when it was possible, they might have, like, pursued pro careers. They just look and see. It's going to be our junior year at the earliest before we get a chance to really play. <laughs> um, might, might just be a better situation for these freshmen to – you know, maybe not get quite as much playing time this year, but have a chance to step in next year, depending on what JMU does in the in the transfer portal. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, yeah. that that yeah, animal. That, that's always that's always a thing to keep an eye on this spring. Um, but yeah, certainly we'll want to see you know how different groups of JMU players play together. You know, where Noah Friedel and Messi Forum kind of fit into the mix. Um, you know, what positions they're playing people at. You know, we're talking about you know Terrence Edwards can play one through four, uh, but they're also much bigger this year. Oh, that would be interesting to just see, see them on the court for the first time, even though I, I'm not expecting much of a competitive game against the Division Three Valley Forge team coming in here. It will be a better game than the one you saw last year where they won like 100 and whatever to nothing? <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, before we wrap it up, we can uh, just throw a little shout-outs to other fall teams that are – you know, getting into the 
the nitty gritty of their team. I their mean, seasons. You look at volleyball. There's they're in a pretty good spot right now to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, they really are. Um, I think this is the highest RPI they've had in a long time. Yeah, I mean Kevin Kevin Warner's been working Jamie for you know decades. I feel like you know he said it's the highest he's seen them ever in the RPI. They're sitting at thirty six, thirty five somewhere in there. So I mean that would looking at last year's, I'm pretty sure it puts them in as not large if they weren't if they don't win the Sun Belt title. But you know they're obviously only dropped one match in the Sun Belt play so far this year. Yeah, and they've got a good South Alabama team coming to Godwin Hall in a couple of weeks. Um, when it's tied for the lead in the West Division, yep. um, which could help their RPI even more if they could get a couple of victories there, uh, close down Godwin Hall in style with that one. Um, so yeah, looking looking like uh, very impressive for the volleyball program right now. Uh, might might be the first JMU team to play an NCAA tournament game in a long time, based on uh, you know everything that happened last year. Uh, well, lacrosse did. Okay, that's right. Yep, forget mm. about that one. And lacrosse also won a tournament game too. So yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Outside of lacrosse, I, maybe I, I was there. Season. Yes, and I completely forgot about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, volleyball, um, soccer, uh, women's soccer team ended up not getting. I think they ended up being seated fourth. Yeah. In the team, and even though they were kind of leading the East Division for the vast majority of the season. Um, We'll be very interested to see kind of both postseason soccer tournaments. The men snuck in. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not expecting a whole lot of them having to play, you know, Marshall in back-to-back games. A very, very good Marshall team on the men's side. Like but top 10 Marshall, I think. You know, I find it extremely interesting that they changed, they changed the overtime rules in college soccer this year. So tie, the number of ties skyrocketed. You know, both – James yeah. men's and women's teams tied an insane number of games. And then now all of a sudden you're back into the postseason where they'll play two yeah. ten minute overtimes and no go not sudden deaths. You play the whole thing and then if it's still tied, you got PK. Yeah. So I, I find that um I find that like interesting to see how things change now that you go back to um no ties. Which, can't have a tie now. Yeah, just it changed the regular season so much, and maybe nobody saw their cha- season change as much as the JMU women, who it seems like they were tying like almost every game, um, and they get some really good teams. I am very eager to see how that plays out. Um, just you know the complete change when you get to the postseason in that sport. Um, but I do think the JMU women probably have a pretty decent shot in the Sunbelt tournament, a pretty balanced conference uh, there. And they were up there at the top for the vast majority of the regular season. Yeah, I think they have a shot to, to run the table. Yeah. But we'll see. I mean, I think they have to make the tournament at this point. But, yeah, I mean, full sports in full spring. Got basketball starting. It's quite a day. Yeah. Yeah, well, we got we got the shout-outs in for those teams that we don't talk about quite as much on here. But, um, yeah, looking forward to speed, especially what volleyball ends up doing here in the next couple of weeks. But I think that'll go ahead and wrap it up for us here. You know, we talk a lot of sports. Got got our football fix in. Basketball, volleyball, soccer. Probably the most jam-packed episode we've had in a while. So if you've made it through to this point, we'll just go ahead and say thank you for listening. I'm Shane Metlin. Here again with Noah Fleischman. Your Jamie Beat Riders at the Daily News Record. This has been the Purple and Bold Podcast. <laughs>